Welcome to everyone that is uh, joining this third season of the IOKO Inspire series. Um, as always, we start with a, a bit of music as I just do the uh, the intro there. I think it will become apparent as we get into this why I chose this. If it isn't, just ask and I'll tell you later. Um, and as always, please do make this participative. So if you've got questions, shout them out, stick them in, put them in the Q&A function because I get to those quicker. If you can't find that, just use the chat. We'll try to pick some of those up as well. But for now, I'm just going to hand over to Pusiletso um, to actually give the formal introduction. Over to you. Hi, everyone. My name is Pusiletso Gobinga. I'm the head of financial planning and analytics here at UH. I have the great pleasure of welcoming you to episode three of the Inspire series. Last week, we heard from Stanford Massey on purposeful leadership in unicorns. It was an intriguing discussion indeed. Two points that resonated with me from the conversations were, you need to understand humanity more than you understand technology. And true invention and innovation doesn't exist among business people and entrepreneurs. It exists when people are having fun. If you missed last week's episode, please take a moment to watch the full webinar recording on our website, ayoko.tech. Stay tuned as Colin speaks, speaks to our author and businesswoman, Professor Shelley Zinn, on the topic, Do Boards Need New Peppers? You're welcome to post your questions or comments in the chat for our speaker. I'd like now to hand over to Colin of Innovation Catalyst, who will facilitate the conversation. Over to you, Colin. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and thank you very much as well. I'm just going to go and click a button there. Right. Um, Prof, Prof, fairly thin. Um, I'll just give a quick intro because as we were saying beforehand, if you're going to do it, um, we could be here for about 15 minutes because it is a very illustrious career that we've got here. Um, you've been to Harvard, you've won awards, top co-media, for example, top women in business, top executive. And I'm having to look at some notes here because there's just too many for me to remember. You've been HR director at companies like SARS, Nedbank and Standard Bank. Um, and Woolworths, not executive director at organizations currently like Sanlam, Afrocentric, Spur, uh, the World Wildlife Front, MTNSA. And I'm having to take breaths in between each of these. You're an adjunct professor at UCT and an executive director for the Boston Consulting Group. A very warm welcome to this particular episode. And if you don't mind, I'd like to, to kick off right with a question. You come from a background which um, I would say was tough. Um, and perhaps that isn't actually uh, summarizing it uh, correctly. You come from the Cape Flats. You had none of the access and network and, and financial support that many people who have a career like this would have started with. What would you say it was that has allowed you to succeed where so many of the people that you started with haven't? Thank you very much, Colin. Um, thanks for having me. And that's a great, a great question to start off with. I think that Yes, um, growing up in the Cape Flats uh, was very tough and still is um, um, for, for, for many people there. The socioeconomic challenges are deep and wide and, and uh, persistent. Um, poverty, um, gangsterism, um, drug abuse, um, all of the challenges that we, that we are, are still fraught with. Um, and somewhere in, in me um, at a very early age, um, my parents started to plant a seed of um, education is very important and you will um, get to matric. Um, and I don't need to tell you about the numbers, Colin, of people who still don't make it to matric, particularly women and girls coming out of these um, very challenging areas. 
And um, my father was saying to me, you know, you got to have, you got to have some targets and you got to set yourself some goals and really we don't want you to get stuck in this place. And, um, and my mother on the flip side was around values of respect, values of humility, values of hard work and excellence and, and generosity and kindness to others. And so with this kind of, um, they didn't use these big words like vision and values. Um, I started on a journey that said I needed to finish uh, matric. And, um, and when I got to matric, um, I had two teachers. And this is so pivotal because um, often we, we don't listen well enough to what people are, are, are saying to us or we don't take away, um, you know, the gift that is within it. Um, and they actually said to me in the middle of the uh, of my matric year, which was incredibly daunting for me, they, they said to me, you know what, you have the potential to do so much more than you think is possible. And I was just kind of blown over. They and But this, the conversation started out, you are not the the brightest pea in the pod. We know you have to work hard um, for, for getting the results that you do, um, but you have the potential to do so much more. And I want to say to people today on this call that um, each one of us has magic, has talent, often that remains unleashed within ourselves. And these two teachers took five minutes of a day to have a conversation with me, to tell me this. And um, and I said, so what is it that you actually would like me to do? And they said, go home and have a conversation about university tonight um, with your parents. And we're going to help you um, to apply and get us a bursary. And this is how the journey um, uh, through education really started. And, and for me, that was a pivotal, um, a pivotal moment um, in my life that set me upon a trajectory, perhaps, that I might never have imagined. So some of the lessons I've learned in that is that, yes, life tosses us curveballs and adversity and even tragedy. And it's really, you know, um, something uh, like the great Nelson Mandela said, it seems impossible until it's done. And, um, and once we start to believe in ourselves and we listen to those around us, who believe in us often sometimes before we believe in ourselves, it, it really does uh, start um, a little message within your own soul that says, you know what, I can actually, I actually have the resilience and the tenacity to pull through this. And I think that for me, Colin, is, is really um, um, where this mindfulness um, started. How important was it uh, to have that support network to give you the confidence and encouragement and to help you on that journey? I think the support network is very, very important. Um, and, and I do want to say to people today as well, it is absolutely vital that we surround ourselves with people who um, will uplift and inspire us. Um, we inherit a lot of people, Colin. We inherit family and friends and, and often toxic situations. But we need to make a deliberate and conscious choice to say, I want to choose to, to spend my time with people that can uplift and inspire me. So whether it be a coach, a mentee, a good friend, a colleague you can trust, um, it, it's good to surround yourself with people like this because they're the people who will support you um, um, through the difficulties um, that, that, that will inevitably come our way. Um, we are human beings um, and uh, there are all sorts of um, challenges um, that I didn't even imagine would, would come my way um, in life. And just on a, a deeply personal note, um, uh, you know, after um, coming back from Harvard with a doctorate and 
really having had some wonderful opportunities. We, we lost our only child in a terrible car accident from which I'm very fortunate um, to be alive. And I think that is the day I really realized um, on, 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 you know, in, in all of this devastation, I need to live my life uh, with meaning and with purpose. And that we have, uh, uh, that, you know, that I have an, an opportunity um, to make a contribution and to make a difference um, because I'm still here. And, um, and so that is where the book um, came from, um, Conan, because it really is about swimming upstream in life and that we all, all face um, some sort of adversity along the way. But that we live our lives meaningfully and purposefully is absolutely critical. And then how one takes that meaning and purpose in everything that you do, whether it be personal or professional, and make sure that you are living your purpose every day. And one last question on that journey. Did you ever have this aspirational target when you were young or did it ever occur even up to now? I mean, you're still young. Um, where you said, I'm going to achieve all these incredible things? Or was it a little bit more short term that way? Just trying to, you know, look forward the next 12 months and achieve the next target and the next target. And then you look back and, well, I've gone through a really cumulative exponential sort of growth here just by focusing on the kind of medium and short term. Well, I mean, the, the first thing was um, that, that the, the promise to finish matric, you know, sorry to jail around the age of about six years old already, and, um, and 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 getting there was 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 massive in our lives. And then um, and being told that you know you have the potential to actually go to university, um, I think that you know there were always little seeds and messages uh, being planted um, that said you can you can actually step up and you can do the next thing. So I figured, well, I finished my first degree. Um, it was very difficult. I mean, if I can just digress for one second, in my first year at university, it was in 1980, so there goes everything around the age. Um, but the, if you recall in 1980, there was a massive education uprising in this country, and we didn't have uh, any classes for, for a good few months. And I had to cancel my, my registration, I had to cancel my bursary, and I had to find a job. Which I, which I battled to find. I couldn't find anything. And so, of course, a few months later, I went begging and pleading to the university to please cancel my cancellation and, and so that I could get back and actually finish. And so after all of that difficulty, getting through the first degree, I just told myself, well, you're on a roll, so just, just keep, keep going. And um, so I was teaching and I was studying. Most of my studies were, were done uh, part-time, but um, there was this constant, uh, you know, um, um, I was drawn to um, the, the idea that I can actually do this. And so I will do, I'll try and do more every year. So it wasn't a big master plan. It was just really how the, the universe came together for me. So that going to Harvard, for example, uh, my mother-in-law still clips out little newspaper clippings for me in case I miss it somehow. And, and this particular one she gave me was the Harvard South African Fellowship is now open for application. And I said to her, do you really think that I can go to Harvard? Is this, uh, you know, something that you really think I should apply for? And she said to me, you know, if you don't apply, you'll never know. So, um, so of course, I applied and there are five of us that got, got to go to Harvard for, for a year, fully paid. It was the first year in my life. I didn't have to worry about money and where it was going to come from. I need to say to this audience again today that just yesterday, the Harvard South African Fellowship put out their applications are open again. So if you're interested, go and check the, web pay, uh, we, uh, the, the website out. 
But um, it, it's just something that I didn't plan for, didn't think would happen. Even when I went to the interview, it was so compelling and so intense. I thought, this is never going to turn into anything that, you know, is going to lead me to Harvard. And of course, when I got there, I, I did a second master's. I just finished the first one at U University of the Western Cape. When I got there, I was with, with these amazing people, this amazing experience. Um, and a little bit terrified coming out of South Africa into this international environment. Um, and everybody had kind of over-egged the Ivy League story. And so it was kind of, yes, you can do this. Um, and I had a supervisor that said, you will do your doctorate when, you, when you're done with your master's. And I'm kind of, I really do need to get home for a whole lot of reasons. But here we were. And um, and so it, 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 it wasn't, things didn't always go according to a plan. It was just how things evolved. And, but I think what, the, what is important is, is to be open um, to those opportunities, have a mindset that says, um, I'm going to. I'm going to try. I'm going to. It seems impossible, but I'm. I'm going to. Going to. Um, going to give it a go, and give yourself the permission to um, not just feel the fear that you might fail, but the courage that you might overcome it. And and these were, um, you know, some of the things I had to. I had to really um, learn along the way is to is to you know manage managing the the unknown but being brave enough to step into it at the same time and, and navigating that, that fine line between it. Um, and um, I'm very, I was very, very fortunate um, in, in my life to always find people who were, were ready to, to say, this is, this is something that you actually can do. And then coming back with a doctorate, um, having had uh, a baby right in the middle of all of that as well, um, you know, is, 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 is quite, uh, it was quite um, amazing because it's, uh, you know, we often think we can live our lives um, in little compartments. And for me, um, we, we need to live our lives to the full. We need to be, you know, good parents. We need to be good in our community. We need to be good at work. Um, we, we just need to embrace uh, this whole thing of, of, of excellence wherever, wherever, wherever we are and whatever it is that we are doing. And um, I think trying to, uh, what I also learned with the devastation of, of losing our, our only child, Jamie, um, was that, you know, time is finite. Um, we don't have forever to do things and we, we can't be procrastinating and putting things off and missing opportunities um, because we, we, we feel maybe we're not ready or maybe we're not worthy or maybe we're not adequate. Um, I believe that we need to seize every possible moment and make the very best of it. And so that's the way I've been, I've been navigating through um, some of the opportunities and even the disappointments, which there are many of as we go along the way. Mm. So Colin, I came back with this doctorate um, from Harvard and a master's degree. And I was very excited to come back to South Africa to, um, to work in the Western Cape Education Department. And of course, I applied for a few jobs. I went for one or two interviews and I did not land a job there. And many of us who have gotten the, the letter to say, we, we regret to inform you, have had, um, you know, such, a, it's disappointing. It feels like, wow, you know, why not? Um, um, but while I was kind of worried about that door closing and why I did, a much bigger door into the world of human resource management opened up to me. And I went from academia into, um, into a corporate for the first time. Um, and that's simply because I changed my mindset about what the limitations are in terms of what, what I could and couldn't do. And, 
and my entire life was uh, growth in 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 a in a, into a trajectory uh, uh, and a career that um, I hadn't anticipated or hadn't maybe you can say hadn't uh, got a qualification in. Although all my qualifications are in education, it was a great foundation for working with development of human potential and unleashing human talent. And this is what I absolutely love doing. So um, it, it's just been um, quite a journey, but I, I would say that we need to, um, you know, sometimes try things that are, are, are quite different um, and not get, get ourselves stuck or beat ourselves up too much. Um, if we fail, we need to get up and, and move on. If we get a letter that says, we regret to inform you, um, you can't stay angry forever was the other thing I realized. you got to, you know, um, say, well, I'm going to go for the next interview. I can't carry all this baggage with me. Let me stop repairing myself. Let me build my car. Let me put my, let me be a credible candidate for the next role. And so, um, so I just want to encourage people because there's so much doom and gloom, um, but there's also so much in our makeup as human beings um, to, to, to find that magic within ourselves that we can unlock and we must allow ourselves to shine. Let's, let's take that onto the corporate perspective then, because many, all of, all of those tips, you know, right from listening to the network, to experiment, to fail, to keep pushing forward, um, are so applicable when you're in a corporate environment. And you went in on the, the HR space. And, and I suppose my question is, how important do you think those, those kind of uh, personal mindsets are to go and cultivate across an organization? And, and I guess the, the, uh, the term people would use typically would be the culture of the organization. Um, that's a great question, Colin, because um, I had the opportunity to work in some amazing organizations in my time. Um, and um, one of them uh, was, was... You also work in less amazing um, organizations <laughs> yes. as well. So you're going you're, you're gonna to give us the contrast. I know you're going you're gonna to come at me for that. Um, but um, I want to say that, I, you know, culture is becoming far more important than it has ever been. I remember, Colin, days of being an HR director, sitting in a boardroom, uh, presenting my HR report, talking about how important the link is between value and values and why corporate culture is so important, why we do need to care about our staff, our, 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 human, our human, you know, the human element, why that has to be uh, priority number one in an organization. And literally people's eyes would roll back in their heads and they would say, we're running a business here. You know, um, I think that the smarter organizations now have actually figured out and I think investors now and shareholders have also figured out that culture is front and center of who we are, what we are about, why we exist. It frames our purpose. Um, and there are lots of organizations, especially now post, uh, you know, well, not post the pandemic because we're still in it. But during this pandemic, have begun to understand that the importance of a humanistic culture and the importance of human beings, um, um, whether they be staff or whether they be suppliers or the community or customers, that these things are intangibles um, and often soft and fluffy things that 
people didn't want to talk about before or didn't seem to see that there was a business imperative in it. I think now the culture is, a, is, is so key to a corporate's ability to attract talent, to improve business performance and to, dri to drive long-term value. So I can use the example of NetBank because it's been cited often and I know um, uh, many of you would have heard me say this um, often, but we, we followed some work that had been done by uh, Richard Barrett, um, who, had, who was the author of Liberating the Corporate Soul. And um, NetBank was in serious trouble uh, um, around 2004-2005, and I was onboarded as the HR director in 2005. Um, and they realized that they could not do a financial turnaround successfully if the 25,000 people in the organization who had been bruised and battered by front page news, uh, decline in share price, and, and just, uh, you know, not very good press for a long, long time. Um, and how do you get uh, people to buy into a new vision with a new executive committee and a new CEO that has to, to, to change um, and, and, and ensure that an organization is actually going to sustain itself firstly, and it's going to thrive. And, and we were in very, very serious trouble. So it was, a, it was a, a structured financial turnaround process that we had to do. And one of the things that, that we had done was to say, um, we, the hypothesis is the closer your personal um, values are to an organization's uh, values, the more uh, performance oriented is, the more discretionary effort you get, the more people enjoy and love coming to work, the prouder people are of your brand. Um, and of course, the opposite is true as well. Um, the more chaos and and, and um, um, a dysfunctionality you have in your organization, they call it entropy then, um, the, 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 you know, the, the more you're going to need ICU to, to, to survive. And so um, the idea was to, to get the organization and, and the people's values as close together as possible. And I'm usually oversimplifying something now. So be good, a good read for those of you interested in this. But we could literally see that as the culture of the organization improved, the financials improved. And I don't want to say there was a massive correlation. I don't want to make big claims like that. But I do want to say that the performance of an organization, the attractiveness of an organization, um, especially in times of uncertainty, especially at a time like this, where reputational capital is so important. And we have seen spectacular failures in organizations um, especially around corporate governance, we need to say, how do we build business resiliency now? How do we mitigate the risks um, um, in our organization? And how do we use this thing called culture and set a tone from the top that, said, that says we are ethical leaders, we are inspirational and transformational leaders, and that we see the importance of, of, of human beings and the importance that, of the value that comes with living our values. And so, so for me, that is, that is very important. So, so it's a great question. And how do we do that? Because I think the evidence is now overwhelming that companies with strong cultures are in a much better position to, to succeed. And I also see companies that are coming through and they're accelerating their innovation. And obviously, innovation is the key to their future revenue streams. And to do innovation, you've got to have a lot of trust. You've got to have a... A, a 
almost a society in the organization where they're willing to fail and try and experiment and try again and help each other and pride doesn't get in the way and break down silos and all the other things that you read in management books. Why do you think that so many CEOs, even today, especially in, in large incumbent organizations, still seem to think that culture is something to delegate to their head of HR? I think because um, the, the, these are, uh, you know, a lack of understanding of what lies at the heart of every organization. What really, I mean, if, if you're telling me that, you know, we're running a business, so don't come and talk about care for human beings, and, you know, I think then you've completely, you've completely missed the boat. Um, and I think that you're probably not going to, you know, going to last um, uh, very long um, as a result of that. And, and I think that organizations um, today, I think even shareholders have cottoned on to the fact that the stronger an organization's culture is, the, 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 um, the ability for them to perform more effectively and efficiently and build that trust um, with, with communities and with suppliers and with customers um, and with key stakeholders, which is another point we need to come to, Colin, in all of this, because our organizations are a microcosm of our society. So we cannot run great organizations if we don't have a sense of what is going on in our communities, what's, you know, where we are doing business, are we contributing, can we contribute who are we in the eyes of, 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 of people around us? And I think that many of us, many organizations are now beginning to say, no, we have a responsibility to the environment, the whole matter of, of, of you know, what should boards be doing and what should CEOs be focusing on? What is a board? And people ask me, so Shirley, you serve on these boards, you know, what do boards actually do? What do they do? I mean, we just... You see one one set of uh, you know series of troubles after the next for for many of our boards today. Well, let, the, let's let's come know. on to the boards in a minute because I want I just want to to lead into it with one more question about the at the C-suite level. So we've yeah. got this uh, problem that cult, culture is not really binding in a lot of organisations. It's incredibly powerful if you get it. How important is it that the leadership team sets a clear purpose, which isn't specifically related to profit and short-term financial metrics, to actually then use that as the construct to build that culture that you're talking about? I think a purpose is ab absolutely critical. It's, 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 it's part of this values conversation and culture conversation that we've been having. And I do believe that organizations have to, in these chaotic times, review, reflect, relook how and why they, they do business. Um, and they need to look very deeply. And I think there's this alignment of people who come and work in an organization, their purpose, if it can be aligned to an organization's purpose and an organization's purpose is aligned, the board is aligned to what it's doing. Um, and, the, you know, it, it goes beyond just maximizing on profits and shareholder returns. Before we used to say, we used to talk about share, creating of, of shareholder wealth. But I think that purpose is a worthwhile endeavor, not necessarily one that boards have practiced well up, up till now. But I think what COVID has given us is an opportunity to review where we currently are and at our very deepest level, 
who we are and what we are about. And I think that one of the reasons, Colin, why this doesn't always resonate with people, first of all, it feels another soft and fluffy thing. Why do we need to talk about purpose, you know? Um, and there's a stubborn view still um, being held um, in many that um, say what worked in the past will continue to work today, um, notwithstanding the huge pace of change and, and, and all the disruption of digitization and the challenges out there. Um, and that there is some hard research done that says purpose-driven companies outperform financial markets, markets significantly. And this is, you know, a proper research that's being done. So if you look at what is, what is purpose? Um, purpose is really our core reason for being. Um, it is, it, it defines our impact on the world. Um, and there's something magical maybe fairy dust about it that people would have said a few years ago, oh, no, it's, it's not even worth thinking about this. But it is a real ability to create value because you understand and embrace and love your purpose in everything that you do. So we, we need a purpose-driven mindset in the current, uh, current day scenario that we are facing. We need behavior that is purpose-driven. We need the rational and the emotional, the intellectual, and the um, um, and, and the kind of non in, the, sorry the intangible bits of who we are to all come together in a unique proposition of what of what purpose is, and we know that results are a derivative of purpose. Um, and so, if we have purpose, we will have results. Um, and let's we take this to the let's take this to the board level then, yeah. and. Um, you know, to, to put real names into, you know, the, the, uh, this, this purpose idea. Discovery, it's a very easy one to choose. Adrian Gore, consistently on record, we would not be where we are if our purpose wasn't at the core of what we do. Yes, we're an insurer, but our goal is to help people live longer and healthier. I see the same at Capitec. We've had guests on previously and coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks um, who've built purpose as the core of the success of their organizations. Rob Paddock, for example, with Get Smarter. Look overseas, you've got your Teslas of the world. They don't build cars, it's about sustainable transport. We could go on and on and on in different industries and show this, this new uprising of purposeful organizations generating massive returns for their shareholders and outperforming the market, not just by small increments, but by, by hundreds of percent over cumulative periods. What's going wrong at the board level to continually allow for this not to become a significant part of the strategy at the EXCO level? I think that, you know, everything starts at the top. So I think the CEO needs to lead with purpose. And once they understand what that means and what the implications are and what the impact of that kind of leadership will be, on their profitability, on their position in society where they also not, where, where, they, where we need to be doing so much more work at the moment. Um, I believe that, uh, you know, that is the beginning of that journey. And we need to take a good, hard look at ourselves and assess um, ourselves as executives to say, are we mindful of whether we are purposeful or not? Because we don't have purpose, we actually are, are rudderless in this world. And then I think purposefulness um, at the board level 
we need to have a clearly articulated understanding of of, of, of what our purposes uh, our purpose is and and sometimes people also now you know um, will say yeah but we have vision and we have mission and we have stated values and we you know we have all of that I mean can we summarize our reason for exist our core reason for existence um, in a sentence that takes into account not only the fact that we are a business but that we are making a difference uh, to society to the environment. Um, and can be articulated uh, maybe as um, proficiently as the examples that you have just made. And I think that there are lots of organizations that yet have to um, develop a, a sense of purpose and a long-term approach that will be able to navigate them as well through this current uh, current crisis. And so... Um, you said, uh, but just, uh, sorry, I just, I know I'm interrupting. I've got to stop doing that. No, but, I get, I just get so excited about the theme that you're going down because if I look, you know, I feel sorry for CEOs. I really do. I mean, you make it sound quite easy for them, but I think CEOs who, especially the ones that come in in organisations that have been around for a long time, it's already pre-prescribed what they've got to focus on. You know, it's almost paint by numbers. That diary is going to be filled up by their PA very, very quickly, and obviously the results preparation, the discussion, the strat session then what's happening in the operating teams. Now here's the targets, here's the metrics, here's the KPIs, they're underperforming. It's almost a, a sort of conveyor belt of meetings that they've got to go to. And yet we're, we're asking them to step back and say, no, you've got to go deeper. It's not about profit and margin and, and sort of product focus. You've got to find an underlying purpose for your yeah. team to bind around. And if I was in that position, I'd be going, well, well, where's my support? Because the shareholders through their proxies, the asset managers, unit trust, pension funds, analysts of different ilk, they're not interested in that. And then the board, who they also see as the stewards of the organization, are going through their own journey here. So they're not going to give the support for the CEOs that want to go and do that. What, what, how can you get that shifted? Because it feels like there's a huge weight you know, on top of CEOs, which they've got to try to go and get with them on this journey. And, and I don't think many of those constituents want to go with them. Yeah, I think I think it's a, such a great question because the, the, the underlying point there is, how do you translate purpose into practice? How do you enthuse, um, energize people around you as a CEO? Um, because you can't, you can't do this by yourself. How do you use the leadership um, that's provided by your HR head, um, by your CFO and others in the C-suite, um, and collectively try to shape and influence um, the depth and breadth of your of your of your of your um, collective decisions that you want to make about the business, um, and and that takes um, reflection. It takes um, a moment to just stop in the bustle of your diary and the lists of things that you have to do. Maybe, Colin, we need to look at the list of things that we are doing and ask ourselves, has this got anything to do with our purpose? And if we're not doing things that are helping us to um, achieve that or translate purpose into practice, um, then we're probably doing things that we shouldn't be doing. Um, and, 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 and we're probably having the wrong conversations and placing our energies in the wrong space. So for me, it's really about um, how do you ad adapt or adopt a clear sense of 
uh, statement of purpose and how do you make sure that that purpose frames up the way we do things and make decisions? How do we build support? And I, and I entirely agree with you that this is not an HR issue in and of itself because that's usually where it would go. And somebody, uh, you know, uh, would, would be adding something on without the integration. Um, and I think that it is a business imperative to ensure that um, we need to measure whether, um, you know, uh, and evaluate a corporate success in delivering on its stated purpose. And that ensure that the leadership exemplifies and, communic and communicates this a purpose through its narratives, through everything that we are, when we write the integrated annual report, when we do a talk to our, our, our employees, when we're doing a talk to the investor community. And I think the investor community is a key component. The shareholders, our broader stakeholders, are if you look at what's been happening in AGMs over the, the last maybe 12 months, they are pushing back and saying, you know, we, we need to be focusing more on on our people, um, on, on their safety and on their well-being. We need to be focusing more on our environment and climate change. Yes, and somebody actually went as far last week as say, uh, I was on one of these events uh, talking about um, uh, executive remuneration and, and somebody said, well, if we're going to put in non-financial measures, um, please don't, for, for environmental, for example, please don't say you're planting 100 trees because what are you doing at the core of your behavior, your very way of being in the world? What are you changing in terms of your products and your services to ensure that you are um, creating a sustainable um, um, environment for businesses to thrive and for people to grow and develop? And so, so, so against think, that backdrop, Prof, yeah. what is the what should the board's um, purpose actually be? And is it the same as what it should have been, say, 20 years ago? And, and while you're answering that, I'm just going to launch a, a little poll as well, because I had to do it earlier, but I always forget <laughs> and I get told off. Oh, you forgot about your poll? Yeah, okay. but it's okay. We'll, we'll do that in parallel. Okay, great. So, so you know, if you look at um, um, what is the point of a board anyway? You know, if we took boards away, would organizations perform better or worse? Um, would things be different? And and I think um, sometimes, you know, we, we there the are compliance issues, there are regulations, and there are king uh, the king codes. It's the companies act. Is all of those things that that give a definition to what a board's purpose really should be. But I think that we. In, in very simple and plain terms, are here to ensure a company's prosperity, um, ensuring that we are collectively directing company strategy and that we are um, um, acting in the best interests of shareholders and our, and our broader stakeholders. And that we need to inspire hope. We need to be credible leaders. And that, yes, we have a unique kind of demand bonds on us in terms of responsibilities and challenges. But I think that we must, um, I think that there is a new imperative for boards. I mean, this is the question we're talking about um, today, you know, and the topic, if you look at, you know, do, do boards need new purpose? And I, I do believe that many of us have lost their way. And that I, I think that we need to sit down um, and think really hard about 
our purpose as a board and how do we shift the conversations um, that we are currently having, often based on tick box kind of, you know, um, uh, um, and, and I'm not saying that we must throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are things that we absolutely need to do from good governance to ethical leadership to oversight and, and all of those important decisions that we have to make on dividends and remuneration. All of those things are, are given. But I think the calling is much higher, Colin. It's a much bigger purpose that we, um, that we need to be more knowledgeable and and. and and, and, and especially do you in, say this on a lot of the boards that you sit on it if I'm imagining it this must be like heresy for some of them <laughs> yeah it's a it was, was once constantly trying to um to steer them in a direction to say yes we 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 will make we will make the profits if we do the right things if we do the right things when it comes to our people we do the right things when it comes to our communities and um, and our environment and our sustainability, and that we um, we ensure that we absolutely have ethical leadership and good governance. If you start to talk about that, if you start to talk about things like um, uh, um, you know what has happened during this pandemic, um, um, it is upended so many facets of the way we we do business. It's impossible to try and go back to any of, of what we knew before. We now also have to have conversations about um, diversity and racial justice. This is not an HR issue any longer. It is a business issue. You, you know, it can destroy your reputation in five seconds if you, you know, got the said, said uh, something that you, you should not have said um, or done. Um, we've got to be thinking about socioeconomic inequality. We've got to be talking about uh, um, climate change and and now we have technology and cyber risks if we are not thinking about that um yes and then there are the perennial things around you know board leadership structure activism risk management crisis management all those kind of things we still absolutely have to do all of those things that relate to compliance um so the, the, well, the, the this sounds like a utopia this really does sound like a, a utopia there are some boards out there um, that operate like that. Yeah, um, there are many who are not. In the main, the yeah. majority, I don't think, do. It's, that's my kind of uh, impression from chatting with board members and people that work closely with boards. Is there a structural issue here about how we go about actually forming the board and setting the goals that that board should be striving to actually achieve? Yeah, I think I think we need to be more purposeful about that as well. I think that, you know, we get uh, we get onto boards and we, uh, you know, um, um, start with the first thing you want to read is the you have to read, I suppose, also is is the financials and the annual integrated report and all of those good things to understand. You also have to look at the quality of of the of of, of the mix of people and skills and thinking on those boards. Um, but it can just be uh, pretty much a business as usual. And we are living in a disruptive age. We are living in an age of, 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 of pandemics. Um, and been, there's been so much written and said about why it is impossible to go back to anything we ever were before um, um, March 2020. And that organizations who are forward thinking will start to, uh, if they haven't started yet, to start to think about um, how do we enhance our competence, our confidence, the credibility 
of our boards, especially given the erosion that we have seen, even through COVID, we have seen plenty of challenges um, on boards and we need to call those out. We need to call it out when people are, are not living the values, people are, um, uh, you know, in, in have poor governance practices, have poor ethical uh, behavior. We, we, we should be far more, um, you know, activists in, in, our, um, in our approach to these things. What, what can be done to try to go and um, to enforce that? We have a lot of MBA people that go into senior leadership teams. <laughs> that's another discussion about whether that's, uh, that's good or bad, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do we need like a board school, which uh, people go through, like a driving license for three or four months to kind of um, inspire them to think more about culture, about purpose, about this exponential world that we live in, to to try to go and find ways to go and support brave and courageous CEOs that want to transform their organizations and sell the idea to investors and other constituents that this is the right thing to do. I mean, I don't know what, what can be done here because it, it feels like it might not self-solve. We might just have a number of companies that don't exist in five or 10 years or, or diminish to levels which are nowhere near their formal glory if they don't make some sort of transformation. Absolutely. And, and that, that is absolutely, you, you hit on a critical note there. So whether, you know, in, in MBAs, the answer, and I have to be very careful here um, uh, about, you know, what we say um, about these things, but um, it's, it's one lever, it's one component to get a qualification or a certification to practice. It is another thing what you go and do when you're in these positions. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, people are motivated by all sorts of different things. But we need to, when you have a purpose-driven set of leaders in a room together, there is magic that can be unlocked. If you have people with all the necessary qualifications, um, and, and often the qualifications or the content or the methodology thereof doesn't follow some of the big debates and topics that the whole world is having. It's still, it's outdated, it's lagging, um, and it doesn't open itself up to some of the new challenges that we're beginning to face. Um, we need to take it upon ourselves to continue to learn every single day. I mean, as a, as a board member, I am constantly trying to understand how can I be a better board member? How can I ensure that we have uh, meaningful conversations and we are taking the right decisions? How do I try and influence and shape um, the, the strategy? And, and do I have the capacity and the character to, 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 to try and shift behavior um, as a board member? Um, and some, somebody talked about, um, you know, um, um, how do we liberate the heroic spirit of, of a business um, and, and lead people into conversations about, about, higher, about higher purpose? And I'm very encouraged, um, 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 uh, Colin, by some of the conversations that I'm beginning to see in, in, in the organizations, at least where I'm at. Um, I think they, they're you know, really looking hard um, at, 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 at some of these sorts of questions and wading into these areas where perhaps they might not have um, not have gone before, because I think that um, people know the uh, importance of, of passionate, inspired teams, of um, of of collaboration, of innovation now, of 
um, you know, creating a vibrant environment and the interdependence across stakeholders and shareholders and being conscious about our culture and conscious about our business and who we are in the world. Those conversations are beginning to happen um, more and more focus is being brought to that. Measures are being brought into non-financial areas that we um, uh, never bothered to look at before. And so I think that I I'm feeling that there the, the is some hope here. Um, I know, for example, if you wanted to know of, 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 of qualifications, I know the Institute of Directors does a, a, a wonderful course to accredited board uh, directors to, to practice um, as a, a chartered uh, board member. Um, and maybe these are the things we must go and we must go and do to prepare ourselves um, for the responsibility that we, we have. Um, um, because with these huge responsibilities, uh, the, 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 there's this huge expectation and there's a, a huge burden on us to ensure that we are, are delivering on that. There's a couple of, uh, let's do the share results on that as well. So uh, no surprises. Uh, what have we got? 95% believe that purposeful organizations tend to outperform their profit-led peers. For the 5% that don't, I'd love to hear why uh, back on the chat. A lot of the uh, the chat is coming through, not actually with questions, more statements of agreement with what you're actually saying there, Prof. Um, there, there is uh, one or two questions, though. It's um, one which I like here around KPIs from uh, Beverly. Um, and I guess the, uh, if I rearrange it slightly, Brooker's you can't manage what you can't measure kind of statement, KPIs, OKRs, all these balanced scorecards. Are boards doing enough in that space to actually put measures in around this idea of purpose and culture? And I don't just mean the annual biannual staff survey. I think that we can do, we need to do a whole, whole lot more um, uh, to to put in proper metrics. Um, I mean, the are views that, you know, um, what gets measured gets done. Um, and I think it's, we need to go beyond again, just saying, well, it's a KPI and I, I will tick the box. It has to be something that you, uh, that that is core to who you are as well. It's you, you have to see the purpose in, in what it is that you are doing every day. Otherwise, you go going to work will be such a um, horrible experience if, if if everything that you're doing doesn't resonate with you, and and that is the way you truly engage people, not through uh, measuring, uh, in, you know, employee employee surveys, for example. If you want to use that example, it become very expensive things to do, and it's just a very simple few simple things that we can do to to create um, employee experience that is fantastic and and people have joy coming to work because people relate to them. There's the social interaction. There's uh, even in remote work, there's ways to be kind and um, and generous. I mean, kindness has become a very important thing um, um, uh, to talk about. It's something that we, again, one of the soft and fluffy things we say, you know, that you, we don't do that here. We're running a business. But I think elevating um, humanity in our business is is ultimately going to be the thing that we need to we need to understand. And once we do that, um, people will just be engaged. People will be a talent magnet. People will want to come and work with us. People will want to stay with us. People will believe that we are exp they experiencing and not just it's not just a, a blurb. It's 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 a true experience, a genuine, authentic experience that we are giving people 
that we are doing business with or that we are employing or or that we are, are serving in the communities that that we are are truly purpose we're in a purpose driven era right now and you think this is going to change automatically because um this was a conversation with um uh charles savage ceo of the purple group and uh, but particularly easy equity this is really fascinating he says we're seeing retail investors become the market movers on the exchanges you know, and you've seen, so for example, Tesla, look in the US, 20, 25% of equity holders are basically retail, not going through a fund or, you know, they're disintermediating the black rocks of the world. Yes. So this direct access in a new generation of people who care about purpose and care about conscious capitalism and care about the future of their children, they're starting to, to, to merge their view as being a customer and choosing the, you know, their favorite companies and an investor in those companies. And one argument is that taking away the structural asset management firms and analysts that we have now into directly the end consumer is gonna force this change anyway, because CEOs are gonna to have to start treating this idea of purpose more seriously. Do you, do you have a view on that as an argument or maybe you're even seeing it already? Yeah, I think, I think those transitions um, are, are going to have to be strategic choices that organizations have to make in the current world that we live in. We now interview, uh, you know, uh, um, people in, 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 you know, for, for roles and they want to know what difference are you making to society? Um, which are your projects? Um, um, and if your products or your services out there are not sourced from the right, uh, you know, from green places, um, people make a decision to not to not purchase it any longer. Um, if you're not uh, showing improvements in your carbon footprint and deliberate efforts to change um, your ways around that, um, your consumers your consumer behavior is changing. Uh, you know, and so that'll be um, a, a huge catalyst, uh, a, a huge a huge catalyst for why organisations um, would need to change. And this is happening more powerfully now through social media and and um, and technology and digitization and all of the other connectivity issues and, and, and opportunities that we have here. So um, it's it's not the way it used to be any longer. And I think we need to, that needs to be very clear in our minds and that our customers and consumers and our, our employees and our stakeholders will decide whether we will be in business or not ultimately. Do you think the board composition is having changed? And I suppose one quick question that's just come through as well. <laughs> we have a lot of boards and a lot of board members that are in the newspapers regularly for doing all the wrong things. Yeah. You know, CEOs and the C-suites in general are meant to get fired when they do the wrong things. Board members seem to be able to stay in their positions for quite extended periods of you know, time. Is there a mechanism? How does that actually work? And how are they able to go and survive in these spaces and not, and not be called out? Yeah, that is a very interesting question because we've seen a lot of that. And I think that, uh, you know, we must understand the processes of, uh, um, we need to appoint ethical leaders onto boards in the very first place. Um, not, um, and we need to weed those out that are unethical. We need to we need to do that without fear or favor. Um, and the only thing is that shareholders appoint board members 
uh, to represent them in, in board meetings and to represent their interests. Um, so shareholders need to take people off boards that are not displaying purpose-led, values-based, ethical leadership. They, it's within their remit to do that. Of course, the rest of us as board members can make it very uncomfortable for people and we can start nudging them out and calling it out if it's, if it's unacceptable. We need to be, we need to turn up the volume, if you like, on that because we cannot be put into a situation where we don't have credible leadership, where we do not have transformational and inspirational leadership at this very, very important um, um, governance area um, um, of our businesses called the board. And so I think um, just to close off, I think the question that we started with, Colin, is around do boards need new purpose? The answer is a resounding yes. Thank you very much, Prof. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Just I can hear you. There you go. Welcome. I see that I see, you're on. Usually this is the moment when you ask a question, but I forgot to tell you at the start. I don't know if you've got a question. We can't hear you now. Okay. These things happen. It's live. It's uh, modern technology. So <laughs> one last question from me. So we need the shareholders to start taking the board to account. Is there a structure in place or do we need to go and have a look at how that structure works? To allow that to actually occur it sort of goes back to this oversight you know who is overseeing the board member who is managing and, and holding them to account and what can happen in that process to make this actually occur well usually um uh, this the way it's, it's currently structured is that the at, at the agm board members are appointed new board members are appointed old board members are are reappointed for, uh, for for specific terms, um, and this is the opportunity also to say um, that uh, you will no longer be standing or give you an opportunity to leave before we actually tell you to to move on. Um, so I think that is the the construct, and and usually we have um, we have shareholders who, who who do that. What we are finding more and more now is that um, activists um, in the form of broader stakeholders. In, in the environmental sustainability governance uh, communities, they 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 can they also now influence and shape um, uh, and call out uh, people who are um, leaders um, on these boards who are not behaving um, um, ethically or who are you know practicing poor governance um, and and so I think I think there are many opportunities. Um, to say to a you know to a board member that is not purpose driven and not values based to say we no longer require your services, we just need to do that more directly. And we need if it if it's if, whether the shareholders are public or in the private sphere or an NGO or academic institution, we need to be calling this out um, more and more so that we can ensure that we are positioning our organisations. Um, to, to be high performing, to be productive, to be constructive members of society, and also that we can build an economy that deals with 
our poverty and inequality and, and all of the challenges that we are facing with this pandemic.